Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Yes, 90,000 people packed the stands at Wembley Stadium for AEW's All-In, a paid attendance record of 81,035. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Fred mm, Podcast Moreland, who that decided to go with the Homer Simpson-type bit because we are going to eat up some of this bullshit that AEW threw at us this weekend. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing all right, getting over a cold, so I'm all uh, husky over here on the mic, but as opposed to walking around. Um, Look, for doing a Bray Wyatt tribute, that's an interesting way to go about it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what a terrible story, uh, legitimately. I mean, uh, just extremely sad. Um, but we already talked about that some. Um, so let's... Uh, but yeah, All In was uh, a very interesting show, if nothing else. And um, I think you've got, uh, you're all up in your feelings, as I think the kids said five years ago. So uh, I am up in my feelings, but, but let's start off with the business portion. Business was good. As I yeah. kicked off the show with uh, Tony Khan said at the presser, over 90,000 people were in the building. Tickets sold were 81,035, and that is what they are claiming is the official attendance. No poofy numbers. They just went with, this is how many tickets we sold, and that's how many of those got in the building. 81,035, with over 90,000 in the building being comps and all those other things. A, around 10% in comps is not uncommon for shows, especially of this magnitude, because you have giveaways, like, Every radio station is going to be able to give away tickets to this mm -hmm. show. And then you have wrestlers who are bringing family and friends. And you have business partners who you're giving tickets. I bet Turner might have had a few hundred tickets for that show. Like, comps are normal. 
So being in that 10% range is, is completely fine. They sold 81,035 tickets for a show that didn't have any matches announced up until a month ago. Yeah. This is a, a massive business success. And to my knowledge, the presser after the show did not have any information about the early returns on pay-per-view. Cause that's usually a question. Tony Khan gets asked, yeah. did you hear of anything? Cause I haven't seen anything yet, Fred. I have not. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to melts or anything yet, but I have not seen any kind of reporting really on how the pay-per-view went. Um, uh, you know, uh, now I did see actually uh, like a week ago now that I remember um, that they had already pre-sold over, was it, oh, I forget how many it was now. That's good. Good job by me. Um, but it was a good number. Um, and uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, Andrew Zarian of Matt Men said that... Uh, they uh, were already. They already had sold uh, as of five days ago, so the twenty third. Uh, he he was told that they had sold over ninety thousand advanced pay per view buys. Um, we I I would assume there are a lot of people who are buying these pay per views early, um, and I know um, we have talked to multiple people who have had issues with BR Live. Whenever I've had to buy a pay per view with BR Live, I've had zero issues whatsoever. Apparently, I've been the lucky one because yeah. there have been people who have been trying to buy these pay-per-views and then have had real issues doing so. So 90000 is not too much of a surprise, but there are a lot of people who are just going to wait until noon, point and click, and go. So that's that's noteworthy in itself. Um, 90000 pay-per-view buys minimum. I would expect... If there was one Fred that could get to the the all out twenty twenty one number, this would be the one to come close because it's such a spectacle. It's yeah. it's a special show for a different reason. This is not the return of CM Punk. This is the first time they're ever wrestling a show outside of North America, and it's in Wembley Stadium, so it's got a reverence even for people like us who aren't. Uh, who aren't British. It's yeah. it's a different thing in Great Britain when you talk about Wembley Stadium. For us, Wembley is where Live Aid was. Wembley is where they have big soccer matches. But there's, no, rever- yeah, there's no reverence otherwise. It's just Wembley. It's it's like going to Texas Stadium. Like It, it, it just feels like another stadium, but we get it's important to the people that are there. Yeah. But for... For those who live in Great Britain, it's on a different level. And I think they did a good job. They didn't want to do a good job, but I think they did a good job (laughs) of selling the reverence by the end of it. And the show had obviously multiple references to Great Britain and especially Queen, which none of them were Emmy Sakura, which we can talk about as well, which I thought was pretty ridiculous. But overall... You can't call this anything other than a business success. They they nailed the business portion. They did. They sure did. It was uh, definitely a financial success, and uh, you know we could talk about the creative of it. Um, now, uh, one thing I do think is interesting is just going back to that pre-sale number. Um, 
granted the business for AEW has changed pretty dramatically since the start of 2021 in terms of pay-per-view buys, but their 90,000 pre-sale is that actually outsold three of their pay-per-views um, and tied with two others. So wait, you know, I don't think they've ever had a pay-per-view that's under a hundred. They have in uh, 2020 and 2019 uh, per WrestleNomics. Oh. Uh, their their first over 100 was uh, Double or Nothing 2020. Everything before that topped out at 98k. Uh, for I, I thought the first I thought the first Double or Nothing was 110. No, I, I mean just going off the. Uh... If WrestleNomics is reporting it, then I'm wrong because it's yeah. Brandon Thurston. He is arguably the best in the business when it comes to accuracy yeah but it just i I thought it was i thought it was 110 but even so getting being in that ninety thousand range for a non-wwe entity is such a big deal for startup before the show started you know too for oh we're talking sorry yes for the startup yeah those were good numbers for what they were uh Mm -hmm. the best going back to wcw uh because i don't tna never got to 100 no i don't think they did no so. I think their best pay-per-view was, I think it might have been the Bomb for Glory where it was Sting and some, excuse me, Samoa Joe. And I think that did 65. Yeah. So they, even their worst pay-per-view, I did uh, TNA ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to say this was anything but a success financially. So, and they've already announced next year they're returning to Wembley, uh, basically one year practically to the day and um yeah it's awesome stuff yeah let me ask you this what did you think of the announcement of going back to Wembley I'm going to be completely honest I thought it sucked I thought really they they made it feel like an afterthought where they just they just squeezed it in at the end you could have had Nigel McGuinness, who went out and got yeah, this to was talk odd. in front of his, his home crowd and does the attendance. I thought that was a nice touch because you get Nigel a live mic. You get him talking to his home crowd. He gets he gets cheered. And obviously, he was great on commentary all night. It, he had his working boots on, and he's struggled on collision. He did not struggle on Sunday. It was no, really pretty impressive. good performance. All you had to do, and this is where, why we talked about the hiring of Will Washington. And I I, want to be clear. I'm not blaming Will, but you hired somebody like Will for cohesiveness, for to to just get the little details right. And instead of having Nigel McGinnis saying, we did 81,035 people, and guess what? We're coming back next year to get like to get a super monster pop. You just kind of blew it off at the end of the main event as this nonchalant thing. Yeah, those kind of things continue to happen in this company, and it's incredibly frustrating, Fred. Why? Why are we blowing off that you're coming back to Wembley Stadium and potentially drawing another house of sixty to eighty thousand people? It's it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I uh, I don't understand it either. I, I would have had Nigel play it up big when he made the tennis announcement, you know? I mean, I kind of figure that's why it was out there, but not so much, I guess. Um, just a odd call from a company that seems to be making a lot of odd calls recently. Yeah, it's... This, 
this company, man. And speaking of this company, we're going to start at the top because there's no point in running around it. The main yeah. event, MJF defeated Adam Cole for the AEW world title in a 2019 NXT special. And I want to preface this for what they were trying to do. They did a tremendous job. The match was very good considering what they wanted to do. They wanted to have something really dramatic. They wanted to have the melodrama. They wanted to have the heat of potentially turning on each other. And they wanted to play that up big. And they did a great job of it. There's, I don't think you can honestly say that they did a bad job with what the direction they were trying to take the match. Would you agree with that, Fred? Uh, I can't say that they that it was bad. I, I you know, it's just such a weird match, really. Um, and that's why I think this is important because I fucking hated it. I hated the match. I I was taken out of it. I did not want it. And all, all I could think about was Johnny Gargano looking at his hands and, and seeing that they're evil. Like, why am I so I, violent? This is not what I want in professional wrestling. This company used to be one that told great stories. And it was Hangman, the protagonist of the company, taking two and a half years to win the title. It was, you know, Jungle Boy working his way up and starting from basically nothing and Chris Jericho mocking him and then lasting 10 minutes with him to, like, growing and developing and having these really good matches, even though he's losing. And then he wins the tag team titles. And then... He gets turned on by Christian Cage, like these, and then he turns himself. Like there are these long-term stories that this company has done such a good job. Hell, we just saw one. This mm-hmm. Billy Gunn story was arguably the best story in the company. Yeah, and they've done such a good job of telling these stories. And even though you know what the end result is going to be, you don't know when it's coming. We thought Hangman Page was going to win the belt at All Out twenty twenty one. No. He, they they dragged it out another two and a half months to full gear. And I got to see that live. That was really cool. But they did a really good job of telling a story A to Z. But in between there, you had no idea how you were going to get there. And that was the real intrigue of this company. Now, where is that? It It just feels like we're booking not from a super long-term place. We're booking from a place of, I'm not going to call it WCW, but it feels a lot more like WCW booking week to week and just trying to pop ratings than it is. I'm going to book long-term stories for the fans and give them real satisfying conclusions. And I think this story itself, could it end up being something really good? Sure. Sure but it sure is hell a weird way to get there. And it's, I'm so incredibly frustrated. Like I'm seriously questioning watching this company long-term because this was so annoying. And so much of this show, I'll be honest, disappointed me. And we'll, we'll go into why as, as we get to different matches, but this, as I drop my wedding ring, cause I'm playing with it. Cause I'm a, an ADHD <laughs> kid. This this match was just everything I don't want in professional wrestling. It, there, 
their 30 minute draw was great. Yeah, it was, was great fantastic. Match. And then they deliver this, and I hated it. It I, I gave it three and a quarter because I thought the work was really good, but I can't get for a match I didn't enjoy. I can't go higher than that. I just can't. You know, I kind of like the first half of this match, even though it was slower and, you know, taking uh, a bit of a circular, you know, circuit, eh, maybe not that, but uh, just a winding path to get to where it was going for a bit there. Uh, but then um, I kind of turned on this match when we got to MJF setting up the tombstone on the table, but he couldn't do it because it was just too violent. And, like, there's just got to be a... Uh, a better way to do that right you know like the the i'm torn about you know going this far with my friend i you know i don't know it's there's just gotta be something a little less like i'm acting like you know to age myself there's um some great snl bits uh of john lovett says uh the thespian right Mm-hmm. And uh, it always bits with him like doing something, and then over the top, dramatically declaring, "Acting," and like that's just kind of what this reminded me of. Was like we have an issue, and this is how we're showing you by going blah, you know, um, just like real over the top stuff, and um, it was just a little much, man. Um, uh, that was that was when I you know was like uh, I don't know about this and then we got to the the draw you know the double clothesline double pin which was that okay. by its uh, yeah, I will ahead. say I thought the double clothesline bit was good I, I yeah I I am not really super down on that uh, I th- I was like a little like uh but you know at the same time it's funny I get it it's I don't know that I need he he in my uh, world title picture though. You know that so that was that's that's kind of a cognitive dissonance that I'm having with this whole storyline, um, and then we have the the promo in the uh, in the ring about how you know I want five more minutes, and then MJF goes, "No, you're gonna get more." Um, I I so it, it, it's hard for me because I hated it, but mm-hmm. I also want to defend it because w- within the context of what they were doing. Obviously, the 30-minute draw, Adam Cole asked for five more minutes, and MJF right, walked out and said back, yeah. no. And MJF has a reverence for this business. And he goes and says, no, you can't have five more minutes. We're going to have a winner because this is fucking Wembley. I thought that was – for what they were trying to do, I thought that was really well done. It was the follow-up that sucked. What – it? You want to have a winner in Wembley. Why in the world are you automatically going to all these like schoolboys and small packages? Yeah. Beat each yeah. other Following up? that up immediately with like a flash pinfall try is, you know, it was kind of funny. Um, it was stupid. Especially given, yeah, well, you know, not intentionally funny, I will say. Uh, I laugh, but not in like the way they want. Um, like, okay, so if in wrestling, like, a flash pinfall is treated half the time as, like, you know, Fred Hart's not doing it, then it's treated as almost a joke sometimes. You know, like, Samoa Joe cut his big promo about how CM Punk only beat him with a roll-up, and uh, that 
that's not enough, right? You know, that's kind of a pervasive thing in wrestling. So to go, we got to give the fans what they need and then immediately going over like small packages is kind of weird, you know, if you think about it at all. Um, Because you wouldn't think that's what the fans need. But yeah, like to go, to, to go with all this and, uh, and at the same time, um, you know, be like, oh, we are super dramatic about being best friends, but also we're going to do like an extended bit about the Eddie Guerrero chair spot, you know. Uh, that was like, there's just so much weird stuff in this match. And, uh, you know, also, like, yeah, I talked for the past few weeks about how I thought the storyline would go, which was absolutely incorrect. Um, but the reason I was thinking that, and I, I've been thinking about this some more, is because I thought this was basically a three act story, right? Act one is these two guys have an issue initially and reluctantly become friends, but do become friends. Two is the act two is the realization that they both want the world championship and the build to that world championship match, um, which would be the end of act two, which I thought was what this was. And then uh, whatever happened in that match, you know, with uh, one of them betraying the other or whatever, uh, would set up act three. And the rest of the story. And um, we didn't get that. Uh, and I thought that um, that was unusual. And probably, I, I still think it's like weird and poor timing, especially given it, it's all in. You know, you would want the signature moment to come there, but we didn't get it. Unless the signature moment is that they're just friends and this is the end of the storyline, more or less, which would be weird. Um, and based on everything we've heard, this has been not, booked out through December. Yeah. This ain't going anywhere. And, like, when you say it's booked out through December, to me, it easily could have been, you know, Adam Cole or MGF turns, and then the rest of the feud goes through December until the big blow-off match. That all makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me, really, is the fact that, like, we went with the status quo here of them still being friends without, like, the proper storyline advancement. You know, we're kind of, you know, doing this herky-jerky-like with in terms of... uh the progression of the storyline and it's i don't know I, I it's weird um i you know i can't say i saw some hot takes that are like oh this is the worst match i've ever seen and like i've seen actual you know terrible matches i i enjoy watching them on occasion you know just for the sick you know you know satisfaction of like this is how wrestling goes wrong you know whether it be like the Sting, Jeff Hardy, no condition to work match, or uh, the My Vag match, the, the <laughs> infamous uh, TNA one, or um, there's one that's legendary on Cage match for uh, One Warrior Nation against Eddie something or other. I forget what it was now, but it's very much not good. And, you know, like, I enjoy watching them and be like, oh, my God, look at this nonsense. You know, just every once in a while. I can't do a lot of them. Like last year, uh, Lash Legend and Nikita Lions was kind of a bit of that. You know, it was a, a bit of, uh, oh, God, look at how badly this went. And Pat McAfee and Vince McMahon. Those are, like, truly awful matches. Um, I can't say this This was a truly, like, negative star match. That, that's completely bonkers to me. But my baseline for recommending stuff is basically, like, you know, to go full star rating nerd, which I, I definitely am, sorry, uh, it's just how I made, uh, was like three and a half stars, right? At three and a half stars, I will say to you, this match was pretty good. If you got time, you should check it out. 
That's like what that means to me. I can't say that for this match because there's so much I didn't like about it that I can't speak positively of it. Um, I listened to a little bit of the flagship yesterday and I listened to uh, Joe Lanza have like a full fledged, uh, you know, not even a meltdown, but just like a, a questioning of himself in professional wrestling. Um, you know, and, and you know, I'm looking over at Cage Match, and this this main event has almost 400 votes already, and it's at a 8.80, which is basically four and a half stars. Um, and I I guess I'm in the minority, which is you know, it's whatever. You know, I think the the basis is if you have an opinion, you're usually like, and that's not a crazy person's opinion, right? Uh, but I, I'm out here, I guess, on uh, Hater Island. I don't know, man. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know. It was a really weird thing. I thought so much of it was corny. And, may, you know, maybe I get my big turn in a week. You know, maybe that's going to happen on uh, All Out. That, and then it'll make sense to me. I don't know. But I did not really love what the style was for AEW in this spot. And honestly, I think I might mind it less if it wasn't the world championship. And I, I I think that's why the flagship Patreon has reported that they have called people in, in the company have called this their bloodline. Yeah. And the thing with the bloodline is most people have said, like, you don't need the title for that. Mm-hmm. And I think you might be onto something that they don't really need the title for this either. No, it's but it's very, hard locked in there, dude. It's, this is this is just not the AEW I signed up for. This is not the AEW I wanted. But the fan base overall really likes this stuff, and yeah, maybe it's a something where there just aren't enough people like us. They. Yeah where we wanted something completely different from what Vince McMahon was presenting us in professional wrestling. Maybe a lot of AEW fans just wanted that style, yeah, but, but not Vince McMahon. Yeah. Who, who is like over the past decade completely lost his booking instincts. Um, like whatever abilities he did have. And I always think that that's kind of a, he's overcredited for the booking aspect of things. Cause he's always surrounded himself with better guys. Uh, at least listen to them for decent periods during the hot periods. Um, yeah, I think that this was, um, it, it would bother me less if it was not for the world championship. Um, but like, I don't know, man, you know, in kayfabe, this is supposed to be the most important championship in the world, right? From AEW's presentation. Because they're not going to say like, actually, it's the IWGP that's the, the real deal, right? So they've got to present this as the most important and most prestigious championship belt in the world. But after the match, when like you got these two guys throwing the belt around and uh, you know being like, ah, "I don't care about this. I care about you," and I imagine that's supposed to be like we're getting over their friendship and its value, etc. But still, man, like it ain't. This ain't it, Chief. No, um, it's not. Um, let, let's talk about the post-match here because... The post-match was my least favorite part, I think. First but. off, 
you had Roger Strong come out and try to get Adam Cole to hit MJF with the belt. MJF pulls out that eye in my diamond ring, puts it back in his trunks. He's like, I can't do it. All right. Mm-hmm. And Adam Cole has the opportunity to hit him with the belt, doesn't. And then MJF rolls him up for the win. After the match, they have their melodrama teenager fight that you'd see in any yeah. any like coming of age movie. And MJF throws the title belt at him, turns his back, and is like, do it. Yeah. And Roddy's yelling at him to do it. And Adam Cole won't. And there's just so much of this crap. And then they end up hugging it out. Cole raises MJF's hand. They celebrate in the ring together with the joint music. And they call it a show. Confetti. What the fuck? (laughs) That was was awful. Like... Well, you, is, this, you is this a Disney Channel original movie, or is this professional fucking wrestling? Yeah, the acting was not particularly good, you know. And uh, I will say, I loved Roderick Strong still having the neck brace on. What a worker! Boy, he, uh, but he's been such a geek now. I mean, he is just a total geek. Um, and I, I do think, like, we got to look at this a little bit negatively in terms of the. Uh, residual damage it's doing to other acts at this point because Aussie Open, which was kind of positioned as like a bubbling under tag team, right? You know, they're the they were the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions and were just featured in an awesome match on their last pay per view. Um, you know, and they were made to look like absolute geeks uh, in their match on the as the opener. Um, and uh, and then you know Roderick Strong, who you know norm you know normally you could absolutely use as just like a mid card hell of a worker guy, you know. Um, instead, now looks like the world's biggest geek. And, Roderick uh, Strong should be used like how they used Bobby Fish when Fish first came into the company. Sure, yeah. Have him have ten to twenty minute TV matches with all the stars and all the up and comers and. You can just beat him like a drum. And yeah. it doesn't matter because Roderick Strong rules and he'll just put on four-star matches every week on television. A slightly more over version of Tony Neese, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. But Roderick Strong now looks like the world's biggest geek, uh, like almost to an unredeemable level. Um, and I was trying to be... Con- I was consistent up until this, which with... Um, Saying, you know, what if they turn him heel with Adam Cole and review of his all ruse, then you know, you can at least be like, Oh, that was bad acting on purpose, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm not really into what happened here in the main event, and uh, it was way too much. Um, it was just atonal to me to what a world championship match should feel like. Um, I'm not asking necessarily for like these 40 minute matches where like, you know, it's burly men looking hardened at each other and just, you know, but I do want a a competition for the belt and there's a way you can do it within the context of that and have like MJF be like, I can't drop this guy on his head on a table. Uh, That wouldn't be right. But, you know, I still want to beat him. I want to keep my title, and you could you could have easily done a story there, which would have necessitated turning Adam Cole, where um, where you end up with um, 
you know, Adam Cole just being more willing to go too far, you know, and uh, push that limit. And uh, we didn't get any of that. And uh, it's, I don't know, man. I just really don't know where this company is going to go going forward. Um, and I don't, you know, it's, it's all very odd. Uh, to me, it's, you know, not really what I'm looking for and not my favorite. And, uh, kind of a bummer. And it's a, honestly a stain on a, a pretty good professional wrestling show, but we've talked enough about this crap and we're going to get more of it. It's, we're going to get it at least through December. Yeah. Um, uh, Tony Khan needs to try and rein some of this in, but at the end of the day, no matter how much we dislike it, if it, starts really moving tickets and continues to have good TV ratings uh, during their segments, it's not going to matter. So that's where I think the business element of this really comes into play because if it's doing numbers of any kind, it's going to keep happening because you have to follow the money. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's that. Um, Let's move on to the, the next match, which was the trios championships where the acclaimed and daddy ass beat the house of black. And I want to say the matches around 12 minutes. Um, I don't have any time in front of me, but I thought this was really well done. I I didn't think the work was phenomenal, but I thought it was good. Uh, They Billy Gunn looked as least bad as he has in the ring, as I've seen in a long time. They really minimized how he really can't move. And they had to murder Brody King to win those titles. They, they had to hit the mic drop, and uh, I can't remember what Anthony Bones calls his gimmick, multiple times to pin him, and they had took all three guys. So I thought they did a really good job of selling that you had to kill Brody King to get these titles. I thought yeah. that was great. Um, and you had the badass Billy Gunn, which honestly was a big disappointment because you didn't get the, uh, the theme song. You just had pink trunks that said badass on it. Yeah. It really didn't feel any different, which honestly was a disappointment. But Billy Gunn got his title. And now we have the acclaimed as the trios championships after House of Black gave them the titles begrudgingly. But I think that they're not long for these titles. I think they're going to have them for a few weeks. And hell, they may have, they may defend them at all out and lose them. Yeah. I thought this was perfectly acceptable and fine, but I didn't think it was good. It was a perfect buffer match. Yeah, it was like two and a quarter stars for me. So I gave it, I want to say I gave it three and a half. I I thought it was better than most people, but I'm also pretty optimistic. For me, three and a half is a lot closer to most people's three. So, like, look, I'm not going to punish it. The work was good. Like, it, but was it a tiny rough here and there because it's Billy Gunn? Yeah, but these guys all worked hard. You could tell that they really they they put in the effort, and it, I'm going to reward effort. And I will say, House of Black coming out all white, having the lantern, uh, which I missed. I completely missed on the broadcast until Andrew Rich mentioned it in our office Slack. I missed I it too. That, yeah, that was a really nice, respectful touch, and I. That's it's something small that doesn't really actually kind of helps their gimmick because they're they're spooky and all this stuff and they were coming out in all white 
which I thought was really nice considering it was Wembley. Awesome stuff from the House of Black. But I don't really have much more to say about this match. Oh, yeah, this, what, what, do you think about the, what do you think about the Julia Hart spot? Boy, um, that fell out of place in modern wrestling, didn't it? Um, I, that's, but I, I remember all those spots growing up where like Sensational Sherry would get like, you know, menaced by Ultimate Babyface Hulk Hogan or, uh, you know, the Dudleys got super pops for putting Mae Young through a table. And uh, I'm not saying that that doesn't, it didn't bother me or anything, but, that, you know, all the same, it's, um, I don't know. I don't think it was terrible. Um, I guess I. I don't know. It was weird. It was really weird, though. So, yeah, it it was it was weird, but I. I it, this is this is a tough one. And I'm gonna kind of parse it out. One, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea to be to be involving uh, women in this element. I. But I will say it's not like she's not a trained wrestler. She's a professional wrestler. Her role right now is a manager. So I have, within the context of wrestling, I have less of an issue with that. It's not like a valet who is only a valet who doesn't ever take bumps, who's never been professionally trained in her life. So from that aspect, I don't have too much of an issue with it because you know that like she knows how to do this. And that's fine. But it's also man jumping on woman. That, that I think is the issue. Um, I don't know. It is it wasn't this, didn't somebody say this was like a, like a heart foundation tribute spot. Didn't, didn't they used to do something like this consistently? Like, correct me if I'm wrong. This, this I thought I heard somebody say it was a, it was like a tribute spot. I'm not sure. Uh, if they did, um, uh... I didn't get the tribute, I guess. Um, yeah. That would just dumb me, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. So that is what it is. Overall, good match. Um, it, it served its purpose. Moving on here, Chris Jericho gets beaten by Will Ospreay. Even though Chris Jericho steals everybody's heat. He continues to lose on pay-per-view, losing this time to Will Ospreay via two Stormbreakers. Chris Jericho has Fozzie, or at least we think it's Fozzie, or at least it's a band playing Fozzie, up, <laughs> up above the stage, and then he comes down and starts singing Judas throughout his whole entrance. Chris Jericho can now claim forever and ever that uh, Fozzie sold out Wembley Stadium which is going to be a hilarious bit for the rest of time. And I'll be honest, I thought it was pretty cool that Jericho comes out and he's just got a microphone and he's singing his way to the ring. That's The crowd sings the way to the ring anyways, except this time Jericho got to do it. I thought that was nice. Yeah. And then Will Ospreay comes out looking like Britain's savior in professional wrestling. And quite frankly, you could argue that he is the savior of British wrestling because of everything that he's done for it at, since the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And Osprey comes out looking like a million bucks. You could feel 
how much this meant to Osprey coming out. It just it felt different. He had just gear. He had the Essex flag. He had a belt that had every indie promotion in the UK that he had worked. You could tell how much this meant to him, and they had to change the match on the fly. And Jericho had to work heel when it made no fucking sense for Jericho to work heel, considering the story. Yeah, but, you have but to given the, the reaction, crowd. he had to. So yeah, you have to work to the crowd, and they did a great, great job of working to the crowd. And this was, look, this was awesome. This was uh, Jericho had a couple spots where he just struggled to keep up with just the incredible professional wrestler that Osprey is. And Osprey adjusted on the fly really well. They yeah. they did that like almost like a flippy do spot where Osprey like rolls over Jericho and, and sets up the um, sets up the Liger bomb. Well, they didn't quite hit that spot fluidly. So in because of that, instead of just having the sit down pin, Osprey stacked him. And I in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network
What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door thought that little touch was really smart because it didn't look like he got all of it so he's like well i'm gonna need to stack him to try and get this pin and those little nuanced details made it so much better jericho just knew he was absolutely screwed and looked at me he's like come on hit me in the chin jericho gets the hidden blade Stormbreaker, done osprey kicked out of the judas effect jericho kicked out of the Stormbreaker. This was, I thought this could have been a little bit better. I thought this had a chance to like get to a match of the year level if Jericho was able to really hit his hit his spots. They didn't get there. I gave it four and a quarter plus. It's hard to get, ask for more from Jericho. He busted his ass. He just, oh, he worked really hard. He couldn't get everything that he needed to with Osprey because it's Will Osprey. Osprey yeah. is arguably the greatest professional wrestler of all time. And at least it, in ring, it, yeah. If you don't think he is, you you can't blow it off as 
it, that he's not in that conversation. And he's 30 years old. Like This was awesome, and I wish it could have hit another level, which I really thought it could have. But some little, little details just prevented it from getting there. But overall, great match. And Osprey, in the course of two months, has beaten Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, and Kazuchika Okada. That's that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, um, I like this pretty well. I think that uh, that Jericho did get a bit across or out over his skis at some points. Um, just you know, wasn't able to keep up, and they were they didn't go too bad their spots, but they weren't perfect um, either. Uh, I went four flat on it because of those. Uh, because the ugly bits, and you know, I mean, it was a good match. It was a really strong match, but I don't think it was like a, yeah, like you said, it wasn't a match of the year contender at all. Um, uh, but I liked it. Uh, it was uh, it was good, enjoyable, um, and I think that's kind of the story of a lot of this show is uh, good, enjoyable, and like around that four star rating um, for matches that were quite strong. I thought. Um, I mean, other than the uh, the acclaimed tag, uh, the lowest ratings I have on my sheet are three and a half stars for the Aussie Open opener and the uh, the women's four way. Yeah, uh, good match. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot more we can say about it. So let's move on. Right before this was the coffin match, and I thought, like, music matters in professional wrestling, and sometimes you don't understand how much music matters until you get something that just hits. And Sting and Darby Allen coming out to Seek and Destroy, which yeah. Sting got at the dying days of WCW, I thought was great, and it fit the tone of this match. And boy, oh boy, did they bust ass in this match. <laughs> Darby Allen took some hellacious bumps. And look, Darby Allen's going to die by the time he's 40 because of how he throws his body around. And if that's how, if that's what he wants to do, that's his choice. He knows what he's doing. But yeah. the bumps he took onto the coffin, one flat where it was, he did the coffin drop on the full length of the coffin. And then to finish the match with Swerve trying to get out, they did. He did the coffin drop from the from the top rope, like onto the widthwise of the coffin to be able to get him in. Which they didn't get all of Swerve's hair in, so I hope that Swerve and Prince Nana come out on Wednesday and make light of that because not all of Swerve's hair was in the coffin, baby. But it was great. Christian was awesome. Swerve was awesome. Sting was awesome. Darby was awesome. This we laughed about how we got here and how a coffin match tag team was kind of dumb, but this worked. I gave it four and a quarter. This was Sting and Darby are now 19 and 0 teaming together. Mm-hmm. That's Never a wild lost. number. Yeah. I can't believe they've tagged that many times to be frank, but yeah, they, they rule. Um, what a, a great act, great team together. Um, I like this a lot. Um, I went uh I went four stars flat on it. Um I thought that it was a, a really exciting match. Um it wasn't exactly 
perfect uh but it was a lot of crazy fun stuff and uh i liked it um did you hear the story that's going around that uh nick wayne was pulled from his booking at prestige because he had to progress go... progress sorry yes uh not wrong pr promotion um because he had to go to uh the walkthrough for his his spot um oh man um, yeah that's rough considering the match was against leon slater i absolutely hate that they pulled him because i thought that giving him matches like that is going to just help his development but it also says something that it, I, I also get it because you have an 18 year old kid who's barely wrestled in front of crowds of like four or five thousand people if like uh, he's had like a couple matches in front of those kind of big crowds he's going in front of ninety thousand. so Thinking being, well, let's give him a walkthrough so we we make sure that, you know, nothing goes wrong and at least he's got that. So when it happens, just in case he gets a little bit of stage fright, which is not a crazy thing to think about considering. And yes, he's a professional wrestler, but yeah. there's a difference between working in front of hundreds of people versus almost 100,000 people. And I get it. It sucks for progress, but it's also progress. So who cares? Uh, they've done enough damage to themselves. So it, I get it, but it kind of just is what it is. I'm, I don't really think there's anything to read into other than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of a minor story, but a bummer. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely a minor story. And let, Let's continue on. The women's four-way. Soraya pins Tony Storm to win. After, after her stolen Emmy Sakura Valor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Coming out to Queen. Okay, so she comes out to Queen with her whole family, which I'm going to be honest, I had forgotten that she was related to Ricky Knight Jr. That for some reason it, it didn't click in my head. But I'm like, oh, duh, I'm an idiot. She comes out to We Will Rock You by Queen, which some people were like really annoyed by. You're I get that you're annoyed that it's Soraya, but you're giving Soraya a Queen song. Soraya's a Brit. I, I didn't have an issue with it. Oh I, no, no, I didn't have an issue either. I, I thought, thought it was, was I thought it was fine. Now Soraya is Soraya. I get it. But that's just kind of cool. And I, I will say Hikaru Shida's music was awesome. I don't know if this is brand, brand new, but it's the first time I had really like listened to it in depth because it was a little bit of a longer ring entrance. Mm-hmm. Music was great. I, I thought it was awesome. Um, and the match was okay. I gave it three and a half. I thought the work was pretty good. Um, you had some of the, the four-way melodrama, but... Like most AEW four ways, it's not just two people exchanging in the ring and two people waiting outside. It's four people wrestling. And you had the the stuff with Tony Storm and Soraya, and now that's probably going to continue. I wouldn't be shocked if you have Tony Storm and Soraya for all out because of how things kind of went in this match. You got Soraya the moment of winning the title at Wembley. Now you can take the title offer, and that's the end of it. But I do think it devalues the women's division a little bit. 
because Soraya is your champion when you have people like Willow Nightingale, who are who has done a great job busting her ass in this company and has organically grown a uh, popularity and has gotten over and has become a much, much improved wrestler over the course of the last however many months. And you put the belt on Soraya. I get it's for the moment, but come on. Come on. You can't tell me that that was a, a good wrestling decision outside of getting a cheap pop. Because that's basically what this title change was. Yeah, it was... Um, I don't know, man. I, I didn't have a big issue with it. Uh, uh, frankly, the women's division has been spinning its wheels for a while now. And um, I don't think that you can really say that the uh, that the direction of, the, of that has been strong. It's been pretty weak for... Uh, God, it's... Honestly, the last time I felt like I had any real direction was the start of the Outcasts. And then since then, it's just kind of been spinning its wheels. Um, I will say that at least this gives us a Tony Storm face turn, one presumes. And, um, you know, a future direction for that. And at least that'll be more, um, more interesting going forward. Yeah. We'll see how this develops because this... This felt like more of the start of something than anything, but I do feel it was a, it was a, also a cheap pop. It's convoluted. But next match, Stadium Stampede, and we get to victory lap this, Fred, because we called this basically anarchy in the arena, and it was. This was awesome. I loved that during the entrances, you have the Blackpool Combat Club come out in fucking peacoats, like. Their British Secret Service. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And you had the entrances, best friends come out. And if I don't know if you noticed this on the Jumbotron, because I think I was the only one. Off to the side, they had the best friends, and they were holding a fish skeleton with Yuda's head on it. Yeah, well, I don't think it was supposed to be a fish skeleton. I think it was supposed to be like his, you know, his spine. You know, no, like... it I think it I think it looked like a fish, but Okay, all right. If it I'll if it was the spine, you know, I'll stand corrected. But okay. I thought that was great. And my favorite part is Eddie Kingston doesn't even take a moment to um absorb that he's wrestling in front of ninety thousand people. Eddie Kingston wrestling in front of ninety thousand people. No, he runs out like he wants to murder Claudio. And I'd love that. Look, this is a a blood feud. And no pageantry, no walking up like the Miz doing your full entrance. No, yeah, I want to kill you. I thought that was great. And what this was awesome. My favorite part of the match. I gave this, I almost gave this five stars. AEW does such a great job with these plunder matches. My two favorite spots were when Sue comes up in the van and gives Trent <laughs> the cookie sheet, but the cookie uh, sheet had cookies on it. Yeah, it, it, well, uh, tea cakes, right? I think. Uh, but yeah, uh, very. I, I lost my mind when Pinta came out after his wardrobe change, <laughs> where they did a stretcher job so he could come out as evil Pinta. Uh, that's the kind of. I, I enjoyed that bit of nonsense. Um, it is nonsense, but it's like Penta has this other persona, and it's been established that he has this other persona. So normal pentagon junior getting stretched out oh 
well, his evil dark side comes out. I thought that was nice. The ladder snaps, and they still find a way to do that spot. They didn't. They shout did out a, Alex Abrahantes for, they for did, saving that spot. I think they was supposed to be a Canadian destroyer, but they turned it into a power bomb because of the ladder. Yeah. And great, great stuff. The finish of this match was awesome. Orange Cassidy brings out a bucket and a glass bottle some with glass bottles, and he breaks the glass bottles, and he reverse duct tapes his entire fist and smashes it into the glass to get as much as he can on his hand. And a couple minutes after that, he ends up hitting Claudio with the orange punch with the glass hand and gets the win. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great, great stuff. And there were so many other cool spots throughout. You had fighting on the concourse. You had um, all kinds of spots in the ring, up on the stage. They did a wonderful job here. And production could have been better. We say that a lot about this company. But this was better than the last Anarchy in the Arena. Not as good as the first. But they keep nailing these plunder and brawl matches. This is a plunder company. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Um I I this I think was my match of the night. I went four and a half on it. I didn't really think there was anything that was like five star level on this show. Um uh I think Trevor Dame had the best tweet about this uh this match, which was uh basically it wasn't the best one, but it was the one that felt the most like someone would die. And uh I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I thought that um, it was really uh, well worked. I thought it was exciting. Um, it was absolute chaos, but in a good way. Um, and um, yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was a blast. Yeah, it was a blast. And we have Moxley is going to be challenging for the th- this part of the booking I I think is dumb. Moxley gets an international title shot against the winner of Orange Cassidy and Penta. On yeah, that's that's weird. That's you know I would have built that somewhat differently to make it more logical, but here we are. But I think the main event is likely going to be Moxley versus Orange Cassidy or Omega versus Takeshita, both of which were essentially announced during the presser. Uh, obviously, Orange Cassidy still has to be Penta. But I think that's going to happen because then we're we're going to get Mox and Orange Cassidy, which is one of the more anticipated matches that we've been building to over the course of the last few months. That should be really good. I don't know if those matches are going to sell a lot of pay-per-views versus like a true world title challenge, but yeah, we'll find out. And we, I'm really excited to talk about this next match. Young Bucks FTR. This was the most disappointing match I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I gave it four stars, and I'm like, man, that it, it just felt like clunky. They're, they were just not fluid. It was almost like they had no chemistry, but we know they have chemistry. This had a real chance to be a match of the year contender, and I don't even think they sniffed that at any point in this match. Like, I, I was just left very very disappointed they they started to get hot right before the finish and then they just hit the big rig on the on i think it was nick jackson and that was it i i was just so disappointed here 
Yeah, um, this felt really disjointed. It's like they couldn't really get on the same page except for those, the last couple minutes. Um, once Ca- Cash hit the spear uh, or through the ropes, the Big E spear, um, it was uh, it picked up, I think, quite a bit after that. But before that, it really felt like it was lacking any fire. And they were just like, ah, oh, we're going to be doing... Um, going to be doing spots and uh i mean they were all done pretty well and uh i don't know though i just didn't have the uh the juice that you were hoping for or at least i was hoping for um this this was an opportunity to really have one of those all-time great tag team matches and they didn't they uh, just had a very good tag match yeah and these two teams should not be having good tag team matches they just shouldn't this yeah, should have been much better. This should have been an all timer, and yeah. they had they had a chance, and they didn't. They didn't. Um, we had another homage to Freddie Mercury with the Jacksons coming out in kind of like a Freddie Mercury Mercury Queen cosplay, and then FTR came out, and it almost looked like Dax had the boo boo face. Well, Dax got the pin. Yeah, no, Cash got the pin which is weird considering his arrest, but I digress. Yeah, I was surprised by their, uh, their keeping, um, they're keeping the belt on FTR given that whole situation. I mean, maybe there's no time for it to, yeah, uh, time for it to go somewhere. I don't know, but I, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's really risky, but I guess we'll see what happens next. Yeah. Right before this, this I thought was weird to be the second match on the show. That they structured this, pay, this show very oddly, in my opinion. The Golden Elite versus what I'm calling the Don Callis family. Can also get to catch them Bullet Club Golds, Jay White and Juice Robinson. Started off a little slow. Overall, this ended up pretty good. I give it four and a quarter plus. Omega was just hitting violent V-triggers, and he had hit one on Takeshita uh, a minute or so prior. And Takeshita rolls him up for the pin. Flash pin in the midst of a bunch of chaos. I thought the yeah. finish was really well done, and I thought it was good stuff. I really do. Um, I got to I gotta take the mic here for a second. Um, I got to say, Jim Ross needs to retire, man. Um, oh, he's so bad. Uh, look, I grew up with him like he was literally the voice of my generation of wrestling uh, when I was growing up. Um, just absolutely one of the best to ever do it. Um, and uh, he is, he's just like, it's like he's just riffing out there, you know, just doing bits on his own. Um I have to think when he was like, oh, it's Freddie Mercury here. I mean, I think I, I assume that was an attempt at a joke. But, you know, I, all I, got, I can't, I'm, I'm stumbling over my own words here, trying to bury him for not being good at talking. Um, I think that really he doesn't come off as interested in the product. Um, and, you know, he, he does stuff that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, it's been a long-term thing in AEW ever since the launch of the promotion that, you know, they do a long five count for tag, you know, combo moves. And every chance JR gets, he buries refs for doing that, even though that's like a company direction. 
So it's like he's trying to get heat on these refs, but, you know, they're not heel refs. They're letting baby faces, you know, do cool combos instead of, I mean, it makes more sense. It was like heels using that to maximize cheating, you know, but that's not what it is. And then, um, you know, just towards the tail end of this match, you know, they've, Obushi and um, Omega try, uh, you know, what Excalibur calls the Golden Lovers V trigger. And uh, JR just out of nowhere just screams, Why is everything golden? It's like the most okay, Grandpa kind of thing, you know? Not making fun of him for his age, but like just the, the, the meme, you know, of, uh, you know, the old person being out of touch. And I just think JR did an awful job tonight, especially during this match. And I, we got, you know, I get trotting him out for this because it's the biggest show you're like possibly will ever do. It's Jim Ross. He's a huge name, but you know, he's, he just needs to stop. It's not good anymore. Um, and it hasn't been good for a long time. I think after the first year of AEW, he really lost his fastball. And uh, it's not good. Initially, I can understand the allure of bringing in a Jim Ross because him on the announcer's desk brings an essence of credibility immediately to your promotion because it's Jim Ross. He called those Ric Flair and Terry Funk matches back in 89. He called... McFoley, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. He called numerous other matches. He even called the the infamous uh, Tanahashi or Tanahashi Okada match where Okada lost and left crying. He's called so many great matches over the course of time across many promotions. Bring him in immediately. Arguably was a draw for fans who were like, I don't know if I should check out this product. It's minor league. Oh, wait, they have Jim Ross? It, yeah. it gives you an essence of credibility because jim mm-hmm. ross is involved now it's not credibility anymore you're losing it because of what jim ross is doing they excalibur made a reference to the freddie mercury cosplay of the bucks and jim ross was like well where's freddie mercury and excalibur had to tell him he died many years ago jr like he's I don't know if he's losing it, if he's becoming senile, if he's intentionally trying to sabotage the program that he's working for. I don't know what the answer is. I know that there's something, and it's negatively impacting this company, and it needs to go. It needs to go. I I have to think that he uh, that the Freddie Mercury thing was an attempt at a joke. Um, I have to, because um, I really can't otherwise imagine it you know um but yeah he's it's it's rough man it's not a great time no it's it's bad Uh, i will say i really enjoyed a lot of this match i thought one i thought juice robinson's entrance was fucking phenomenal he's he's basically he's like, tailor made for wrestling man oh he's so good and he, his hair is just like the dreads were dope but yeah they wore out and now he just looks in 
he looks like an unhinged like 1970s like rocker just you know what he kind of looks like disco stew yeah. he looks he looks he looks like an unhinged disco stew cosplay and it's great and i don't mean that as insulting i think it's awesome um it's he's just so perfect for what he's doing and for professional wrestling and i thought this match was really good but the best part about it is now we get Omega to catch the singles, which has a chance to be a match of the year contender. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Uh, that could really steal the show. Well, it's time. Uh, I, I'm surprised that we waited this long to get to talking about this, but Charles Montgomery Punk against Samoa Joe. Oh, this now, great. Was, yeah, this was a great match. I was kind of thinking we'd save most of the talk about the drama to thursday but if you missed it there are varying stories going around and it's always funny you can tell which one like it comes from the punk camp because it's basically there's one reasonable person on this planet and it's cm punk and everyone else around him is a maniac and the other the story from the other side is always cm punk did a crazy thing and we're just trying to deal with it and um and it's very funny to me that like that there's just this consistency. I mean, it's telling you he's telling on himself uh, with these stories that always come out that are I'm actually a good person. I, you know, like Jack Perry got dragged into this uh, when there was that report a couple weeks ago that CM Punk was like, hey, kid, you don't have to bump in glass. Also, are you trying to skip work because of this? Which is, uh, you know, when Perry already had the next week off. Uh, frankly, just a bizarre, you know, thing. But then, you know, I'm going to jump back to the pre-show when him and Hook were having their match and they were working around the limo. Jack Perry in one of the all-time um, mo- definite, mo- you know, moments of wrestling. I'm not attaching an adjective. It was just a, def- a moment that happened. Um, slapped the windshield of the car, looks right at camera and says, you know what this is? This is real glass. Cry me a river. <laughs> it's just, oh my God. Um, it was so petty. Tomorrow. Strap him up. That was the that best was thing the he's best done in his entire career. It was the best part of the show. And you know what it showed? Real passion, real fire, real, yeah. hey, I am here. You're not going to push me around. And to, to, to kind of go with the reports, the report, there's one report. Uh, for a report from one source, excuse me, that was Jack Perry started it. Yeah. Multiple other sources said this was all CM Punk who got yeah. in including Perry Miro thing. tweeting in response to it and saying that's not what happened. Just all time stuff, all time stuff. But let's get back to not burying CM Punk for being a douchebag, but let's talk about how great this match was with Samoa Joe. My favorite spot in the match was Samoa Joe is about to do his uh, his walk away from the crossbody off the top rope. CM Punk instead just turns around, and then I think he just delivers a missile drop kick from the second rope, and then he gets uh, Samoa Joe outside the ring and then does a crossbody from the ring to the outside, and that's when Samoa Joe does the gimmick. Just that was awesome. That was great stuff. 
Yeah. Um, CM, uh, CM Punk doing the plancha to the outside and Samoa Joe doing his walk away and then the wanking motion um, was art. Put that in a museum. Um, but yeah, the, like jo- Joe and Punk was a, a great match, which is what, frankly, that match in the semis of the Owen should have been. This was so much better than that. Um, which only kind of makes that booking decision even more bizarre. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a blast. I thought I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, you could tell me, I, I mean, I could even argue with you if you thought it was the best match of the night. I, I have it probably at number three, but uh, I thought it was great. Yeah. And, um, you know, CM Punk is just the funniest man to ever walk the planet of the earth. And he doesn't mean a single bit of it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I gave it four and a quarter plus. I thought the match was really good. And I thought it was even better that the finish of the match was the Pepsi plunge. Yeah, that was wild. That was perfect. It was a great um, addition to like this rivalry. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a match that was done with some reverence. Like, because these guys have been rivals for two decades. And I thought this was incredibly well done um, from start to finish. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Now, you know, of course, the big news uh, around this match was, you know, other than the confrontation, uh, apparently immediately before... uh, CM Punk went out was that security escorted both Jack Perry and CM Punk to the locker rooms, their locker rooms immediately. Um, Perry left, I assume like before the end of Punk's match and then Punk after his match was taken to his locker room. And then after a bit there was taken directly out of the, you know, the arena. So that's why they um, did not have him at the uh, press conference. I, I, think that's nice to see even a slight bit of uh you know self-preservation instincts for tony khan um congratulations on improving there and um god what a sloppy guy absolutely sloppy yeah just it's nice to see him kind of take ownership of this company uh even even the slightest ways Tony Khan, like, yeah. It's a step forward. Punk's not getting away with everything. That's a good sign. So I mean, he's just getting away with almost everything. Also, almost not everything, though. That's, that's important. <laughs> I It is extremely funny to be 44 years old and allegedly constantly looking for fights. You know? Like, I don't even have the energy to, like, argue with someone about wrestling on Twitter. I'm just imagining, you know, and I'm, I'm several years younger than him. I'm just imagining getting that old. I mean, like, yes, I have a list of enemies and I'm going to beat them all up at, at the biggest wrestling show of all time. Awesome stuff. Just it's just next level petty. And I appreciate that. Um, we already kind of briefly talked about the first match on the pre-show, which was Hook versus Jack Perry. Obviously, they Jack Perry came out in a limo. Mm-hmm. Hook came out. Uh, and to a pretty good pop and they had a good match i gave it four stars i thought this is one of the better matches hooks ever had he sold well he looked really good 
and they these two have good chemistry. Um, I thought this was a great way to finish off the pre-show to get people excited for the main show. And I don't really have any complaints about it. Hook wins the FTW title. Taz is on commentary, talks about how much the family means to him and his family. And that was it. It was overall just a really solid match. Yeah, I like this a lot, actually. Um, I thought this was a blast. Uh, I went uh, four, I think, on it. No, I went four and a quarter on it. Um, it was just absolute chaos. I love that in a wrestling match. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was just a lot of fun. I thought Hook looked awesome. And I thought Jack Perry did a really good job. Jack Perry between the bells has always not been the problem. Jack Perry on the mic has always, you know, that's always been the weak point. Uh, maybe he'll keep getting better as a heel, but yeah, um, I like this. I like this a lot. And, you know, I thought uh, for a pre-show match especially, it did a damn good job. And now we have to talk about the first part of the pre-show, which was MJF and Adam Cole defeating Aussie Open for the ROH World Tag Team titles. Good for Aussie Open getting here, considering they were just wrestling indies about a year and a half ago. And now they're wrestling in front of 80,000-plus people. But they basically got jobbed out here. And they hit the kangaroo kick, which all the credits to Kyle Fletcher, sold it like death. And then they hit the double clothesline for the win. Yeah. The most unexpected outcome for what this match was going to be. And they, that's what we got. Just, I gave this, because of the work, I, I gave it four stars. I don't think you have to go out of your way to watch it. Um, I think you do if you want to keep tabs on the MJF Adam Cole like storyline and can, how they're continuing to feud. I do think it's must watch. But it, it was fine. I didn't really have anything else to say about it. It existed. Yeah. It's It's fine. Yeah, this was. I went three and a half on this. You know, there's a lot of shtick, obviously, but I enjoyed it. You know, this was this didn't bother me quite so much. Now, now I can take umbrage with the booking of Aussie Open for sure. Uh, but as far as just like the match itself, uh, the layout was fine. It was, you know, fair bit of goofing around, but it was a pre show opener. So that's obviously a very different spot from the main event. Um, I enjoyed this pretty well. Yeah. Overall, this is a... This was good. This was a good show, but it could have been an all-time show. But too many things just were let just let us down. The Bucks match was a letdown considering what expectations were and how good it could have been. The main event, uh, your mileage is going to vary on it, but in my opinion, it's just too divisive to really consider this a truly all-time great show. But it is a great show in the fact that it's a massive business success. And no matter how you feel about the actual card itself, just being able to have a, a upwards of a $10 million gate and 90,000 people in one venue for anything, especially something as niche as professional wrestling, all-time stuff, great stuff. Yeah, it. Um, I, I thought this was a damn good show. It was not like close to a 
greatest show of all time thing won't be among my best shows of the year. Uh, but it was like an eight out of 10 show, um, even with how I feel about the main event. Um, there was just too much good stuff on the show. Um, I liked really everything up until the semi main. And then the semi main was just kind of a, you know, it was a story driven, you know, buffer match, essentially, you know. Uh, I definitely would have preferred if it was a better match, but I mean, when you do a match that's built around Billy Gunn in 2023, it's only going to get so good. Um, and I and you liked it a lot better than I did, uh, so less of an issue for you. But yeah, I mean, enough. Um, the negatives, obviously, ignoring once again the drama that seems incessant with CM Punk. Um, it just seems impossible to. Uh, to really be too negative on the show, even with what I didn't like about MJF and Adam Cole. And, you know, I saw some interesting discussion this morning about what if this was just MJF's idea of trying to work to his opponent's strengths, you know, because with Brian Danielson, it was really about the wrestling. And, you know, there was other couple of comparisons I saw there that was interesting ideas. And, um, you know, maybe he decided to go down this path with Adam Cole because, um, this is what Adam Cole's NXT highlight matches were like, was a bunch of drama, melodrama, really. Um, but I you know, I, I just wish it was more logical and less silly, you know. And uh, I, it's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be back later this week for another edition of the Heat Check. And it will be for All Out, which is on Sunday, September 3rd at the United Center. And then one thing we will mention before we go, Wrestle Dream, October 1st in Seattle, Washington, will be a a tribute pay-per-view show to Antonio Inoki. And the theory is that there will be some New Japan involvement. Tony Khan alluded to hoping to have some New Japan involvement, but they have a pretty big cork in that day. So... What kind of involvement, we'll find out. But it's that was announced, and I, this is one step closer to having a 12-pay-per-view calendar. So something to be aware of, something to be prepared for. Meantime, I'm Tyler. He's Fred. We'll talk to you again later this week. Take it easy, everyone. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself... How many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.